Our Father in heaven, Lord, we are so grateful that we have this opportunity again to study your word. Lord, you've seen us safely through the week. You've been guiding our lives. And as we are looking at this important topic today, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to see with more than just our human vision that we might understand the message that you have for each and every one of us. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. Well, good day to everybody out there. We are continuing our series on the, the kings, the, the kings that were when the, the whole of Israel was united, and there was just three of them, but we are still looking at the life of Saul. And today, the title of our topic is entitled, Seeing Without Eyes. And at this point in time in our study, Saul, he's already been rejected as king. He disobeyed the express command of God and of the prophet in destroying the Amalekites and all that they had. And though Samuel loved him, he had to give him a strong message of judgment from God. And after that, he would not see him really for the rest of his life after. And, and Saul, Saul, he was still to be king for a while, but Samuel, he wept much for Saul and what he had been through. And we now come to Samuel, whom God has approached, and he's about to tell him and send him off into a different mission. And so we pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 to 3. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do, and thou shalt anoint unto me whom I name unto thee. And so God, he comes to Samuel and he asks him, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? He's already been rejected and there was no amount of mourning that would change God's mind, his decision. The, the decision had been made and Saul had already been rejected. And so God comes to send him on a different mission and he is to go to the house of um, Jesse where he is about to anoint the next king. And this time, it would be of God's own decision, God's own choosing and not man. You see, God had chosen Saul at the very beginning, but he knew the people's hearts. He chose a man that the people wanted, someone who was taller and stronger and well-built and he had this kingly bearing. He, he, they, he had chosen for them someone that they wanted according to the world's eyes that should be a good king. But unfortunately, he lacked the inward qualities that would have made him a good king to sit on the throne, to judge and to lead Israel. And so God sends Samuel to Jesse of Bethlehem. And God has specified whose family it is, but he hasn't told Samuel who the person would be. Yes, he's going off on this errand. God sends him there. He wants him to do all these things, but he's only given him part of the plan. And so Samuel has to walk forward in faith. And you know, he was probably wondering, who is this person? Who is this person? And friends, 
you know, even from the outset here, we learn a very important lesson. Sometimes God only gives us half the instruction and waits for us to obey before he will give us more details, before he will give us a clear plan or the next step on what to do. You see, when God called Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees and he asked him to leave his home, the comforts of his family and friends and everything that he had been established in his life, he only gave him enough details to move forward in faith. Look at this. We read in, uh, pardon me, we read in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8, where the Bible says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place, which he should afterward receive for an inheritance, he obeyed and he went out, but not just that, not knowing whither he went. You see, God came to Abraham and he called him and said, Abraham, I want you to leave. But Abraham just left and we, we don't, we, we seem like it's just something so small, right? But it isn't. He left and he didn't know where he was going. God just said, I want you to pick up and leave. And you see, it was only after he left Ur of the Chaldees that God came to him and gave him clearer instruction on where to go and where to pitch his tent. And so many times, you know, we like to know the end from the beginning. We like to know the whole plan before we tell God, God, okay, then I'll obey. But no, often God, he, he comes to us and he expects us to exercise faith in him. And even here in this instance with Samuel the prophet, God only gives him part of the information. Where to go, whose family? But who is it that's going to be king? He hasn't told him yet. And he was to go to Jesse's house and sacrifice and so that the suspicion of Saul would not arise. But who would it be? He doesn't know yet. And so, let's continue in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 4 and 5. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice." And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. So yes, Samuel did obey. And obviously, it was not often that Samuel would go to a particular town there and sacrifice to the Lord. Everybody's suspicion has been, been raised up. It's like, what is he doing here? What is the prophet doing here? And they're asking him, are you coming peaceably? Because remember, even though Saul was king, Samuel still had a great influence over the nation and he was really the judge. He was the one that told Saul, the king himself, that he'd been rejected from being king, you see. So just the recent events showed that, you know, it was not something good and pleasant that Samuel was doing. So the people were afraid, are you coming peaceably? And he said, yes. And Jesse and his sons were called to the sacrifice and it was only known to Samuel and God what would happen next. So let's keep reading. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 6. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And so the, the sons of Jesse pass by and they're, they're there at the sacrifice and they've come to this feast that Samuel has organized. And along comes the older son Eliab. And the older son passes by and, and Samuel is saying in his mind, Oh, this must be the one. Samuel is pleased. He must have looked noble. He must have been strong. He must have acted in such a way that would have, that would have 
helped Samuel to say, oh, this is going to be the next king. Surely, this is the next anointed of the Lord. And he was so sure of Eliab that, you know, look, Jesse doesn't know what's going on. They're, they're, they're just passing by. He's just saying all of this in his heart. But you see, the oldest son of Jesse was not to be crowned the next king. Look at how God reacts. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. You see, Samuel has made the same mistake as the children of Israel in when they chose Saul as the king. They only looked on the outward appearance. And look, who can fault Samuel? We are human. All we can do is see with our human eyes. But you see, can we see character in a sense even though it's in the heart? Yes, we can because of how they act. But so often we focus on how a person dresses, how they look. You see, we, we look at those things, how tall they are, the features, are they handsome, are they pretty? We look at all those things, isn't it? But you see, God cares more about our heart, about our characters. He doesn't care about how we look, whether we're short or tall. Look, we should keep ourselves clean. We should comb our hair. We should brush our teeth. We should take care of ourselves, but we shouldn't focus on that to the neglect of focusing on our characters. God looks at our character. God looks on the inward. This is the true measure of a man, and this was what God was looking for to be the next king. He was looking at the character. He was looking at how the man was on the inside. And this is where we really get our title of our study today, Seeing Without Eyes. You know, friends, how important that we have to be and careful when we look at others, right? It is only, yes, we can only judge by what we see, but we should not judge people by just simply how they dress or how they look. Actions should be judged. And this is what we should look at because the actions show our character, whether we lie, whether we steal. You see, appearances, wearing a nice suit can be deceitful. And this is how the world judges. They care about the clothing and all of that, but not God. Look, like I said, we should be clean, we should be well-kept, we should cut our hair, we should brush our teeth, we should do all those things. Of course, circumstances does not always allow that. We might not have the money for it, we might not have the education, we might not have the good taste to buy those clothing and all of that, but we should look at the character. How? We should wait, give people time, not just, oh, this person comes in and they look nice, they act nice in a sense for a little while. We should see long-term how they act before we make a judgment of them. Not just at the first appearance. But you see, Samuel made that mistake with Eliab. Eliab passed by and he thought, oh, that's the one, God, that's the one. He's thinking in his heart. Jesse and the sons have no idea why they're there. But Samuel, he's having this conversation with God in his heart and God says, no, 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 no. It's not this one. I have not chosen this one to be the next king. Let's keep reading. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and now verses 8 and 9. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. 
Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Who is Abinadab? He is the second son. And he passed by, and maybe Samuel had the same thoughts of the second boy now. Oh, surely it must be this one. But maybe this time, you know, Samuel, he, he didn't think like the first time because he'd already been in his heart. And in the conversation with God, he'd been rebuked by God. Oh, this is not the one. So instead of saying, surely this is the one, maybe he was just careful like, God, is this the one? And so he's a bit more reserved in his questioning instead of just jumping with excitement, you know, how he must have had to be so calm sitting there or standing there looking at all the sons pass by. But his first thought was, hey, this second son is just as good as this first one, right? Is it this one? But God answers Samuel saying, no, Abinadab is not that one. And um, Shammah passes by and God says, that's not the one either. Let's keep reading. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 10. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. Huh? What do you mean? Samuel says to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. You know, they, they've all passed by seven sons. And uh, Samuel says, and God's not chosen any of these. Cho chosen? What are you talking about? But he still hasn't made it clear what is going on. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. And so none of them, they've been chosen. The last one passes by and Samuel's a bit confused. God says no to all of them. What's going on, God? Maybe there's another one. And so what happens? 1 Samuel chapter 16 and now verse 11. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. So, <clears throat> you know, Samuel in his confusion, all the sons have passed by, and God has said no to all of them. And so he turns to the father, Are these all your sons? And so Jesse replies, Oh, there's one more, there's one more. Thankfully, there's one more. He's outside taking care of the sheep, and the father had not cared to call him to come to the feast at all or to come before the prophet. Obviously, he thought just like Samuel and the children of Israel. He had looked on the outward, and it seemed surely that the first seven brothers would have been chosen before this last brother of all of them. So he didn't even trouble. He didn't take any trouble to call the younger son to come to the feast. And so, you know, he, he had just been thinking, the father had just been thinking like the rest of Israel, like Samuel, right? This important feast, surely my youngest son would not have been needed to be there at all. But yet he's the one that every, everyone is waiting for. Let's keep reading. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 12. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. As soon as David comes in, God tells Samuel to get up, anoint him, for this is going to be the next king of Israel. You know, we're not sure why David is not thought of. The Bible describes him of a beautiful countenance. He's good-looking. He's ruddy appearance. You know, he's been outside taking care of sheep. Maybe it was simply because he was the youngest in the family. 
his older brothers, surely they would be chosen before him. Someone had to take care of the sheep at home, right? So why, why just try to find a servant? No, just get David to stay home and take care of the sheep. He was the youngest after all then. You know, friends, in the olden times, the birthright, it fell to that which was oldest. And so it was natural to, to the youngest would have the least prominence in all the family. And especially when there were seven ahead of you, surely God would not pass by seven brothers just to get the youngest one, right? Nonetheless, right at the end, the request of Samuel, the prophet, David is brought in. And as soon as he comes in, God says, he's the one. Let's keep reading now. First Samuel chapter 16 and verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So David, he's anointed king immediately by Samuel right there in front of the whole family, in front of the brothers. And God has not only chosen because he was of beautiful countenance, but his character was different. And right there, I guess it was a rebuke first to Samuel, but then to the whole family. It's like, hey, God chose this youngest one to be the next king of Israel. And after that's done, Samuel, at least the Bible seems to tell us that Samuel just got up and he left. Maybe he must have eaten something, but his task was done and he moved on. And you know, friends, what is it that we know about David? What is it that seemed to make David stand out above his brothers? Let's just have a look, quick look at this, shall we? Let's go to 1 Samuel and verse chapter 13 and verse 14. This is what we read about David. 1 Samuel 13 and verse 14. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. And this was God speaking to Saul, or really through Samuel, and he's telling Saul, God's rejected you from being king, but he has chosen a man after his own heart, his own choosing, someone that would walk in my ways, someone that was faithful to me, someone that loved me with all their heart more than their position. And David was a man after God's own heart. He didn't just simply choose him, but it can be read in such a way that this man that he would choose was very much in heart and character like God himself. And David certainly was not perfect, but his character was most like God's. He had surrendered his life to God. He was walking in the will and the way of God. He was a man after God's own heart before God ever chose him. He was a man after God's own heart as a shepherd boy. He was faithful as a shepherd boy. He was faithful in these little things. And he didn't care that he was not called to the feast. He was just doing what God had asked him to do, what his parents had asked him to do. And you know, what are some important lessons that we can learn from this story about the anointing of King David? Lesson number one, let's go to 1 Samuel 16 and verse 19. The Bible says, Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. You see, David was simply just a shepherd boy. Yes, that's all he was. He took care of his father's sheep. He took care of the family's sheep. And yet it was from this obscurity of tending flocks, taking care of these animals out in the wilderness, that God was shaping his character. He was teaching him important life lessons to take care of sheep, 
It would require what vigilance, watchfulness. The sheep wouldn't care how you feel or whether you were sick or not. He had to be faithful no matter what day it was of the week. He had to watch out for them in the rain and in the sunshine. He learned the lessons of faithfulness. He learned the lesson of governance. And you know, we have many people in the Bible that come from humble beginnings out in the wilderness or in obscure environments to be exalted as great leaders for God and even for nations. I want you to consider Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible says this, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Moses, he took care of sheep for 40 years. And it was only then that God called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. He had to unlearn everything that he had learned in Egypt for the first 40 years of his life. And only then God could use him. Let's go to another one. In Genesis chapter 39, we read verse 1 and verse 20. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites which had brought him down thither. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in prison. You know, Joseph, he was a slave in Egypt, and after being faithful to Potiphar, he got the raw end of the deal, and he was cast into prison because the wife cried out foul that Joseph was trying to rape her. And he was in prison, so he was in Egypt as a slave and even a prisoner, but it was there that he learned to be merciful, It was there that he learned to manage the affairs of Potiphar, one of the great men in Egypt. And also there he learned how to manage a prison, something small but manageable for someone who had never had any experience in management before. It was in these obscure places, like in the wilderness, as a prisoner in someone's house or a prisoner in prison itself, that God was training people like Moses, people like Joseph, to be great men, to be used in the future. Not to say that they were perfect, but you see, sometimes the way that God works in the training of his people is not always how we think. And so it was with David. In the, in the wilderness out there, taking care of sheep, his character was being shaped. And it's in these insignificant moments of life, which others don't see, but God sees, he's verily shaping our lives. He's seeing whether we're faithful or not, whether we can be trusted or not, whether we can grow up to be the man and woman of God that he wants us to be. It's in these little things that God cares about. And you see, friends, no matter how small or insignificant we think we are, maybe you think you don't have a degree. Maybe you think that you don't have any talents or not enough talents. But you see, friends, it's not about the talents. David was the youngest. He wasn't even called to the feast. He wasn't even selected and chosen by his father, never mind the prophet or God, right? But yet God chose him and only him to be the next king of Israel. God doesn't call those that are most talented or what we think is most qualified or the most handsome, the most noble bearing. That's the world's way of working. God looks at our character. He looks at our faithfulness. He looks at how we conduct our life, not how we dress up our life. You see, in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 and 32, the Bible says this, 
And another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Do you see that? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, one of the smallest seeds in all the world. But when placed in the environment where God wants us to be, it can grow to be one of the greatest trees. You see, friends, it's not about the humblest beginnings and you thinking, oh, I have nothing, so God will never use me or call me. I have no finances. I was not brought up in a prominent family. I was not raised up in a, a Christian family. I didn't have all the advantages of going to church all the time. No, friends, from the smallest of seeds grow the biggest of trees. And so it is often from the humblest of beginnings. God can use us to the greatest extent. Even when Jesus fed the 5,000, there was that little boy that was willing to give to Jesus what he had. Let's read in John chapter 6 and verse 9. The Bible says, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Andrew, one of his disciples, could not believe that this would amount to anything. I mean, appreciate your, your sacrifice, little boy, but how is this going to help anybody? But yet, because this boy was willing to sacrifice the little that he had, his little lunch that his mother had made for him. Christ made it into one of the big, biggest stories in all of the Gospels. And this story holds such a prominent, a prominent place in all the stories that Jesus, of all the miracles that Jesus has performed. You see, friends, God can use small and insignificant because when surrendered to God, he can use it for a great power for good in this world because the small and insignificant come in humility of heart and mind. It is the small and the insignificant that don't think great of themselves but are just willing to be used no matter what. And so sometimes the more humble beginning, the less talents you have, the greater God can be magnified. Sometimes we think we have to get those master's degrees and doctorate degrees and then Ah, then I'll be able to reach those people out there because they'll look at my degree and they'll be willing to listen. Only if I could have that doctorate degree on the back of a book. You know, who is a person that has just, just a bachelor's degree? People don't care or people don't listen. But friends, it's not about that. Sometimes it's these people that God can use the most. I'm not averse to education. I'm not averse to getting trained. But that is not what makes the stature of a man and woman in the eyes of God. But let's look at lesson number two. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 13. <clears throat> 1 Samuel 16 verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And then Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. The Bible says here that when Samuel anointed David with oil, that the Holy Spirit came upon him from that day forward. Friends, why is it so important to receive the Holy Spirit? Well, we read in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. You see, friends, it is the Holy Spirit 
that sanctifies us, that separates us to the work that God has assigned to each and every one of us. We need the Holy Spirit, yes, to mold our characters, but the Holy Spirit can only fall on those that are obedient already. The Holy Spirit can only magnify and change the hearts of those that are willing to be changed. And David, he was already a man after God's own heart, but he needed more of the Spirit. He needed more of the Spirit to prepare for the future plans that God had for him. He was sanctifying him daily. Let's look at another text regarding the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the Bible says, And you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. You see, friends, it is the Holy Ghost that gives us the power to will and to do for God's work. It is the Holy Spirit that helps us to be willing. I'm sure that David was not desiring to be king. He wasn't dreaming of being a king in the courts and the palaces one day. No, he was happy and content with where God had called him to. But yet he needed much more of the Spirit to give him power to be ready for being king one day. He needed the Spirit to guide him. One more text, Exodus chapter 31 and verse 3, the Bible says, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. Friends, it is the Holy Spirit that gives us wisdom. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us understanding. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us knowledge. Not the worldly schools, not any degree behind your name. That wisdom sometimes does not even come from God. We ought to be so careful that the qualifications that we have rest first and always on God. Does it mean that we should stop studying? No. We need the training from other people. Even Jesus worked in the carpenter's workshop. He learned to work with his hands. He was not just reading the Bible all day and just praying all day. No, friends, he had work to be done. And we too have work, we have studies. These things are important. But what I want to emphasize is these degrees and all this training is not what makes us a man and woman of God after his own heart. And so, you know, when God anoints us and he sets us apart for a certain work, he will also qualify us as well. Not because we're talented or someone special, but because we have learned to walk with him by faith. And it is God that empowers and qualifies us for the work. And it is through the Holy Spirit that God does this. Remember, David was just a young boy when Samuel anointed him to be king. He was just tending the flock, and what a shock it would have been, not just for him, but for the whole family, all his brothers that were standing by, to see Samuel pour that horn of oil over him and anoint him to be the next king of Israel. How David must have felt inadequate, how a, such a daunting task must have been set before him. But God, through his Spirit, gave assurance to David that he would be with him that he would continue to guide him, that he would give him the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding of heaven. And then we come to this last lesson. God's timing is perfect. You see, even though God anoints David to be king through Samuel, he does not immediately take the throne. Saul is still king. He's anointed, but Saul is still sitting on the throne. 
and David has to wait many years and through many trials before God opens the way for him to actually take the throne and rule as king of Israel. David even cried out in Psalms chapter 13 and verse 1. Look at what he says here. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? David was wondering how long he would have to run as a fugitive or how long before God's promise and anointment of him as king would come true. He was wondering. He never gave up his faith in God, but he still wondered. You know, sometimes for us, it's easy to be impatient with delay. But God's ways are not our ways. Often, you know, we think four years of study is too long. Or sometimes we we just think from that human, worldly perspective and we don't realize that God has his ways. Moses, he was in the wilderness for 40 years. And yes, Joseph was in prison for how many years as well and a slave in Potiphar's house. But yet God has his perfect timing. It says in Isaiah 55 verse 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Friends, if we're going to follow God, if we're going to walk in faith, we need to have patience and hope and trust in God's perfect timing. It's okay to plan. It's okay to have expectations of how you think things might work out. But today, we live in an especially impatient culture. We want things right now. We want things to happen straight away. We want our food fast. Everything should be at our fingertips with our phones. We want answers right away on Google, right? We're living in this impatient culture. But yet, even though David was, he was anointed as king, he would have to wait many years before that promise and that anointment would come true. And friends, let us learn to trust God, even through the prayers that we pray, though they may not be answered for many years. Let us learn to never let go of our faith and our trust in God, even though sometimes it makes no sense, even though you don't know how God will work it out for you. Learn to trust God and take him step by step. He has a perfect plan for each and every one of us. It will take faith to see that plan fulfilled in our lives. It will take trust in him to continue to walk forward, being faithful to that which he's placed before us. And so even though David was anointed as king, guess what? Right after that, he would just go back to the field and continue to work as a humble shepherd. When would God call him to be king? It was up for him to decide. God was the one that anointed him, and God would guide the affairs and the circumstances of his life. But you know what, friends? Praise God that God looks on the inward and not the outward appearance. God sees not as human eyes see. He doesn't judge us by how we simply look, but he cares more than anything about our inward characters. Even though we may seem insignificant in the eyes of others, God, he sees differently. Or does he? I hope that he does see differently in each and every one of our characters, that you're living a good and honest life, that you're faithful to God, that you're faithful to your family, you're faithful to your church, you're faithful in your studies, you're faithful in the work that you do. And when God sees us being faithful in these little things, he says, I can trust you now and I can give you a bigger burden to carry. 
You know, friends, we think sometimes it's all about politics, being at the right place at the right time, or who you know and how they can open doors for you. But friends, it's not often like that. If we are faithful, God will lead us at his timing and in his place. You know, from the outward, if you looked at Moses' life, on the outward, you looked at Joseph's life, all we would have thought was they are utter failures, not realizing that both would be leaders of great nations one day. One Israelites, the other, the Egyptians. Well, you know, he was second to Pharaoh, right? Joseph was. But God exalted him at the right time. And we shouldn't expect the exaltation. Why? If we have the right humility of heart, we'll never think that way as well, isn't it? We've got to be so careful to be willing to be obscure, to be unseen, to be humble, to ask only God to exalt us and that we might exalt him. And so when God calls us, friends, he not only calls, but he also empowers. He desires to give us his Holy Spirit, not just simply to change our characters, but to help us to be more effective for him, even though we might not have the proper training. But that call often requires patience, trust, and faith in him who's called us. God's ways, they're not our ways, but we can have the assurance that when God calls, we can look at this text, 1 Thessalonians 5.21, Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. And so, friends, today, if you believe that God has called your life, you got to trust him. Through the ups and the downs, through the thick and the thin, you got to trust him. Trust him that he's called you and he will also do it for you at the appointed time. And let's not take the matters into our own hands. Let's not get impatient of the delay. Though we are human, it's so often and easy to do that. Let's learn to trust God because God does not see with human eyes. And today, let us not to look with human eyes as well <clears throat> on our circumstances, on our own lives, and our situations around us, thinking that I can't do this or it's not possible. But let us learn to be faithful from the smallest to the greatest of things. May God help us because so often, in a moment's notice, our events and circumstances can be changed and overturned. Let's just make sure that we trust God every step of the way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, forgive us for so often we've looked at others and judged them just by how we see without even talking to them or even getting to know them. Lord, so often we've judged a book by its cover where you have looked upon the heart and the person that we've rejected sometimes can be the greatest blessing to our lives or the lives of the ministry of the church. Lord, please, Help us today by not looking at others but looking at our own selves, to judge our own hearts, to make sure that we're in right harmony with you, that, Lord, you'd help us to be humble, you'd help us to be faithful, that you would guide our lives each step of the way, that we would learn to walk with you each and every day and submit our ways and our lives to you. Lord, please help us, guide us to that end, and may you fit all of us, Lord, for a work in your vineyard today. Give us a desire to work for you. Help us, Lord, and give us your spirit that we might be filled with your wisdom, your knowledge, your understanding. For Lord, this is what matters more than anything else in this world. 
Help us not to pursue after the worldly knowledge and the worldly wisdom. Help us to always seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness as well. Thank you, Lord, for calling us. Now, Lord, please help us to be patient and willing to allow you to guide our lives. Thank you for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, friends. Thank you for joining us today. May God continue to be with you and guide you. And until we meet again, let us continue to pray for the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts. Let us continue to be humble and faithful in all that we say and do. God bless. See you next time.